like to be turning to James chapter 3, as you do, it seems to me, if there is anything that Christians should know, we should know that words have power, because we find the very basis of our faith in the Word of God, and because we profess to know God. Now, many Christians have developed this phrase, the sinner's prayer. And hopefully we never think that the power comes from verbalizing certain sounds or words out of our mouth. But as Paul says in Romans 10.10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Words have power. Uh, We covered lots of this in our Word of God series, but God created the world with words. He saves us through the incarnation of His Word. Jesus, as we're told in John chapter 1, or Hebrews chapter 1, which states, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke, that's the idea of words, to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken words again to us by His Son, again, kind of what I was referring to, John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. But anyways, His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And even the Bible uses the language of words to demonstrate salvation. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15.3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Faith comes by hearing the word. Also, Ezekiel 37, there's this picture of the valley of dry bones, and those dry bones came to life by Ezekiel prophesying words. We see the power of the words of life from God. But now, James, in in his epistle, we're going to see the power of words for death and destruction from man. I invite you to stand in honor of Hearing the word of God, again, we're in James 3, verses 5 through 12. James 3, 5 through 12. James writes, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such small a fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring 
pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, the last time I studied James, we looked at the fact that not many should become teachers because of this sin that that James has delicately laid out here that we all share. And so I pray by your grace and your power and your mercy and your forgiveness that you would speak through an unqualified vessel such as me. Father, that you would save hearts, redeem lives, mature the saints. Most of all, that you would glorify your son Jesus here. Father, have complete authority over what is said and done. I pray against the enemy, his works, his servants, and his facts. And I, in fact, quite contrary, I pray that your kingdom would advance greatly, that it would storm the gates of hell. But only you can do that. So we invite you to speak here and now. Have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christy and I have affectionately renamed the month of August to the month of Apocalypse because of the horrific fire seasons we've been having every year. But of course, uh, how many of you get PTSD every August because of especially 2015? Now, we do know that every year, though, we've been getting horrific fire seasons regionally whenever it hasn't been around us. I remember a Thursday in August of 2015, one Thursday morning, where Christy and I drove to Vince's house, Vince's house still being unfinished. Vince loaded up with fire hoses and told us to go down uh, this hill right next to his house to this smoldering pile, and Vince said to us, if we can hose this smoldering pile down, we can nip this fire here and now. Uh, There wasn't enough hose, and so I huffed it and puffed it. Back up the hill, Christy makes it look like a walk in the park, I'm out of shape. But we're going back down, we have some hose, we're hoping to get a little water on it, before somebody up top by Vince's house told us that the winds were picking up, it's getting too dangerous, we need to head up the hill and get out of harm's way. And that little small fire turned into the horrific fire by Friday. The fire that everyone remembers when fire was all around us. Now, we tried to back burn and and stop it, but that's that's that reality, though, of just that smoldering pile. And it was like that every night, a smoldering pile at night, but by day, especially with winds, fire all around us. The world was drastically changed in how we went from pleasant, everyday woodland to an emergency zone, people running to and fro, people leaving woodland, fearing that it would be overtaken completely by fire, burnt to the ground, and rightly so, it seemed at some of those moments it was so entirely possible and probably probable had not anybody been around to stop it. And we know houses literally burnt to the ground as we know friends who lost many things that people can't have back. The church downstairs turned into an emergency feeding and supply shelter. Our writer James, as illustrative as he is, conjures up these drastic moments. 
And he says, this is in essence what the tongue does, how it operates. Again, we read, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and yet the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. When we started our study in James 3 a couple of weeks ago, we ended on an illustration that James was using. He writes, picking it up in the middle of verse 2 of this chapter, he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, uh, able also to bridle his whole body. Yet if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide the whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So the point is the impact of the tongue. The power of the tongue in the body. Perhaps we don't think about it too much, but we size up a person almost, if not entirely, by what they say. That's how we vote for our politicians. That's how we judge or see or conclude or assume a person and their character is by what we've heard them say. Now, I'm not saying that actions never come into the picture. We sometimes make conclusions about a person by what they say, but then we are supported in our views or we are corrected or our minds change when we see what they do or do not do. The tongue is a small member, but but its impact on who a person is, how a person is perceived, is complete and total and undeniable. The biggest example I can think of is Jesus. It is almost safe to say that his entire trial and execution is because of what he said. Luke 22, 66-71 says, says, When the day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from our own lips. Words. There is a reason that that testimony, words, in court, has weight when it comes to judgment. Yet James seems to be pressing in on something more terrifying, more poignant. Words just aren't things spoken that, that have weight on how we are perceived but listen to this, he says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It seems that the words we say have sway, have power, have direction and guidance. It actively takes hold 
and directs our entire lives, setting on fire the entire course of our lives. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so was a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. I think wisdom literature, like the Proverbs and like James, does a good job at illustrating what we cannot see. We don't see what words do. Perhaps that's why we are so liberal with our tongues. And while many of us can appreciate the imagery and the illustration of wildfire and its wildness and destruction... I've come across another video that might also be helpful. Now, I should mention that this video is just really concerned with profanity. It's a commercial for a video filtering service on the Internet. It can literally filter movies for you. So now, if you want to, I wouldn't know why, but if you want to enjoy rated R movies in rated G ways, that's what this service does. But just take a look. I think you'll get the picture of what's happening here. Again, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts or maybe paintball shots, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many of us are out thrusting our sword everywhere? How many of us are out shooting paintballs at people, stinging them with our words? This isn't just a bad problem. It isn't just a, oh man, yeah, i got to get that under control. It's much deeper. It's much weightier. It's much more catastrophic than a simple slip of the finger on the paintball gun. But it is that innocent spark. So I'm a little careless with fire safety habits. What's the worst that can happen? It is the spark that ignited the fire. You know, as I think about that fire, and that same morning where Vince Christie and I were trying to put out that small fire below his house. We were later on down the canyon as we were back burning, and if you've never fought fire, I never have. I remember the surprising fact that though I was easily hundreds of yards away from trees going up in flames wherever they took off, I could feel the change of heat on my face. How many things went up into the sky, lit on fire? We were worrying about where it would land so we could get to it and spray it down. The mouth is like that. Its heat can be felt from miles away, places we don't see. Its scorching burns can land and start other fires. However, James even goes deeper than all of that, that woodland fire. But he, he gives us the blow that the tongue like this is set on fire by hell. It is demonic, is what James is saying. Evil speech, blasphemy, gossip, slander, lying, 
fake vows, tearing people down. It is all demonic. It reminds me of what Jesus says to the unbelieving Jews in John 8, 44. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I like what the NIV says. It says that when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. You ever know those people whenever you had to make concessions for? You expect them to be malicious. You expect them to vent or rant. You expect them to be divisive with their language. These are the people that James is talking about. Murderous language, lying, deceit. The tongue becomes demonic. He is demonic. What... What James is saying is that you or I, when we speak like this, what is he saying whenever it says that it is set on fire by hell? I mean, do I get in line at hell and does somebody take, you know, one of those old-fashioned torches with oil rags on tops and, and, you know, dip it in the fiery pit of hell and then ignite my tongue? I mean, what's going on here? What is James saying? I'm reminded of another striking time when a Christian was accused of being demonic. See, again, we note that James is obviously writing to Christians, and he says, hey, if you have a tongue like this, it's demonic. Jesus says this to Peter. When Peter tells him, hey, the Son of Man does not need to suffer, like you say. Right? We, we, we pick up the story in Matthew 16, and Matthew records it this way. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day, and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, the leader among equals, the second pastor of Jesus' first church, if you catch my illustration, that guy... Jesus calls him Satan. Friends, if you were to call me Adolf Hitler, I'd be a little concerned. What did I ever do to deserve such a cruel comparison? Jesus calls Peter Satan, and Jesus was not saying anything lightly here. If I approached you after church and said, hey, Satan, and then said, I mean it, I did not forget your name, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I meant to call you Satan. I'm sure defenses would rise up and you'd take it rather seriously. Jesus gives a little bit of his reasoning to Peter and he says, you're hindering me, right? You, you're, you're supposed to be on my side. I have a mission here and my mission is to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from our church hierarchy, be killed, be raised, and you tell me no. You're telling God Almighty I got a better plan. Or if not that, your plan doesn't work. That's, that's what Satan does. That's what Satan says. He's always trying to hinder what God wants to do. Secondly, Jesus says to Peter, your mind's in the wrong place. It's on man's thoughts. Not on God's thoughts. See, man, seeks, man says, seek safety, security, power, 
fame and have nothing to do with sacrifice, pain, or suffering. And every sinful fiber in Peter's being hears that Jesus is going to do all those things, allow suffering, pain, and sacrifice himself, and let go of power, and willingly forego safety and security, and go down in infamy as a Roman criminal. And Peter says, no, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't want that, but God does. And so when James says that the destructive tongue is set on fire by hell, he's saying that the devil is speaking. That that is the devil's doing, that is the devil's bidding your and my snide remarks, backbiting, gossiping, selfishly defending, I don't know what they're talking about, I'm innocent, and here's why. All of our lies and pompous discussion, oh, that so-and-so, he's so blank, and here's how I would do it if I was doing it. I don't know what he's thinking. All of our hypocritical remarks, especially with spouses, oh, honey, I love you, but all of our shut-ups and your dumbs and every bit of it, all of that is us saying, here, Satan, have your way, I'll do your bidding. I'll speak your native language. The tongue is set on fire by hell. Right? This is a team changer. This is me suddenly being a mole in God's kingdom for the devil's kingdom. You feel that? James knows it's hard. I know he's terse, blunt, and in our face. But he knows it's hard because look at how he continues. He says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring forth? From the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The beginning of verse 8 should really catch our attention. <clears throat> if we believe it literally as stated, James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Right? All the animals we can tame. We got the horse down. We got... All the other animals we can tame. But, no human being can tame the tongue. Do you believe that? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means literally. It means it's hopeless. It means that, that all of this hellfire, tongue, scorching earth, massive destruction, throwing burning embers here and there, all of this is inevitable. All of this is to be expected of us. All of this describes us and we... Cannot help it. No human being can tame the tongue, says James, the Holy Spirit inspired author of this Bible we believe to be altogether true and without error and rightly so. You feel that. James continues to hammer on it too. He says, It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Restless. Being a writer, I prefer letters and emails half the time over face-to-face -face conversations because I'm also an introvert. It's why I preach from manuscripts, because behind pen and paper, 
Um, it's not so much that I don't like face-to-face, but it's more I have time to hopefully select the right words that I want to use and so forth, because I care about those things. And I learned in high school that many emails, many letters, should go unsent. Some of you call people up and invent to get things off your chest. I, I still do that too from time to time, but I write, I journal to God, sometimes I write poetry, sometimes... I'll write letters or emails to people with things I really want to say. And it's taken me a while, and I don't have to have it down pat, but I've learned that sometimes those letters or emails to people, especially late at night, restless, need to go directly into the trash. They need to directly be deleted. And these letters weren't always backbiting or hard language. It could just be me worrying, right? Such as the times I sent emails to my mentor and pastor, Hunter. Sometimes when an email uh, mysteriously had that send button pressed by uh, you know, some guy who looks like me, sometimes Pastor Hunter had the great wisdom to send me back just one line in his email, and he says, I see you sent this you know, 500 billion page uh, email to me at 2.30 in the morning, so I'm going to just let this email sit for a week, and if you need to talk about the things in it, then we'll talk about it. And I I think I could say that 99% of the time, it didn't need to be talked about. My tongue, whether it be my mouth speaking or my pen writing, is at times just a restless evil. And just a quick side note, because it's not preached on often, worrying and fear is evil at times. Demonic. God is not a God of, of chaos and disorder or fear, but but God is a God of peace. Now, there is a difference between fear and concern. But, so, 2.30 a.m., thousand-word emails betray as a young man who didn't trust God, a young man with a restless evil going into the wee hours of the morning. James then moves on from the fact that no human being can stop his tongue, it's a restless evil, and finally he's pinching probably the most sensitive nerve in this passage, and he says... With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I said this before, and I'll say it again. Jesus' summation of the entire law, namely love God and love people, are inseparable. You look at passages in places like Matthew twenty-two forty or Mark twelve thirty-one, and Jesus makes it clear On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, or as Mark puts it, there is no other commandment greater than these. The the point, they're inseparable. It is impossible to be a Christian who follows just one part of these laws. Impossible. As I said in a previous sermon in James, John spends an entire letter teaching that. 1 John 2, 9-11 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is, in fact, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so James is describing the tongue, and he says, with it, We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is getting to is what Jesus gets to in the Gospel, and that is this. James is diagnosing the external symptoms, a hellish tongue. And now he has illustratively pointed us to the diagnosis of the disease itself, namely, what is its source? Because we have the external diagnosis, curses, or salt water, or wrong fruits on a different vine, but the point is, is maybe we should check our sources. Maybe we should check the spring. Maybe we should check the vine itself, because that's what is needed to be rooted out. You and I have no ground to stand on if we, if we say, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved at church. And then we go home, did you hear about stupid so-and-so? They're at it again. Who do we think we are? Did, did God suddenly go home? Is he saying, oh, Kevin left the church, what's that guy doing now? No. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And let me tell you this, sometimes family life is where it happens the most. Whether it be blood family or church family. Why? Because we get to know each other, and guess what? The Bible proves true. Everyone's got this sin problem. No one's perfect. And so why we think we're proudly saying, oh, that so-and-so just has that sin, doesn't it? Does she not read the Bible? I mean, the Bible talks a lot about that. So says the gossiper. So says the religious, self-righteous person who's doing the devil's bidding with a tongue they have received from hell itself. Now, we need to be careful. I find that that most, and I can't say all, probably, but, but most out-of-whack doctrines or beliefs comes from extremes. And I don't want you to walk away saying, well, I guess nobody can ever be confronted with their sin. I don't want to be accused of cursing them or gossiping them. When the truth hurts, it's not malicious. Let me say that again. When the truth hurts, it's not malicious. Now, some can be malicious in their delivery of the truth, and that comes back to what is the motivation of the person who's delivering it. But if the truth hurts, it's not malicious. People are more than welcome to be offended by the truth and hurt by the truth. That is the people's problem, not the truth giver's problem. I've told you as we've gone through the book of James, I often call it the book of ouch, because a lot of what he says hurts. That doesn't mean when I get to heaven, by God's grace, I'm going to go find James and say, you know, I have a bone to pick with you. I'm not going to say that. Rather, I should thank him for being honest and not massaging my back. And that's another truth here, that graciously seasoned words are different from sugar-coated words. Let me explain that. See, Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I believe graciously seasoned words are taking into consideration the content of the words, and without changing the truth of the content, but rather changing the mood or the temperature or the delivery and still giving the truth. So instead of me saying, hey, you're a bunch of fork-tongued devils working for Satan, leaving hellfire in your path, 
with your words, I've taken into consideration the entire counsel of God. I've taken into consideration your emotions and my emotions. And I've taken into consideration my own guilt and my own sin in this matter. And by God's grace, I hope I have seasoned my words with grace. But whenever I season words with grace, there needs to be a difference from sugarcoating. Sugarcoating is concealing the truth for the sake of emotions. Sugarcoating is saying, luckily, none of you have this problem. And, well, you know, James, too, he's kind of archaic, and he's just being very metaphorical here, so a slip of the tongue is to be expected. And, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly apologizing for what the Bible says. That's not seasoning words with grace. That's saying, perhaps, in the name of compassion or in the... In the hope that you'll like me and listen to me, let me deliver you lies and conceal the truth, because I don't think you can handle the truth. That's the difference. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so coming back to our illustration about praising God one moment and tearing down people in the next, instead of tearing down, is there a way where God might move you or me to pray for people that tick us off? Is there a possibility that that if we know the person well enough that the Spirit might prompt us to graciously approach them in kindness and humility and say, "Hey, hey, I've been praying for you about this area of your life. Can I be helpful here? Do you see that as a sin? But when it comes to to this sin, and when it comes to the fact about our hypocrisy, and when it comes to this hopeless reality in which James stated matter-of-factly, no human being contained the tongue, where is the hope at? The hope is found that James is even correcting us to begin with. Right? Like nobody was going to present all this information and say, not that you could do anything about it, but now I just want you to feel guilty about it the rest of your lives. He's not saying that. He, He certainly believes it can be changed. Why else would he correct Christians? You see, James believes that the vine can be changed. He believes that the pond can be completely changed. Like water to wine, like salt water to fresh water. Graceland read for us earlier Matthew 12, where, where Jesus was just as forceful in his warnings. He said, how can you speak good when you are evil? From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the, his evil treasure brings forth evil. There's a, another time when Jesus is speaking about what comes out of a person's mouth and out of the abundance of his heart. Matthew records for us in his 15th chapter where Jesus states, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And then he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And all of this should be pointing to the reality that you and I Agree with James, no human being can tame the tongue. And if we agree with James, and if we agree with 
Jesus that the very nature, the source, the heart, the centrality of who we are is corrupt and what's producing this hellish evil, then we take hope because the Bible points us to an amazing truth. Jesus has come for precisely this, to give us a new heart, to change the essence, the very center of our being, to give us a new source from where the mouth can speak out of a redeemed heart. You see, long ago, the author of Hebrews tells us, at many times and in many ways, God spoke the idea of words to our fathers by the prophets. And one of those prophets is Ezekiel, who tells us of what God is going to do through Jesus. And Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, And I will give you, excuse me, God is speaking here through Ezekiel, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart, a receptive heart, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear that? That is God saying, I'm changing the pond. I'm giving you the right vine to produce the correct and the same fruit. That's God saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'm going to make sure that your heart is right. I'm giving you my godly, pure, undefiled totally righteous nature. And so, yes, no human being can tame the tongue, but a human being who confesses of sin and says to God, I'm a sinner, and without you I'm not saved, so save me. I'm yours. I believe in your Son, Jesus. I long for your Holy Spirit. I yield to you. May you be Lord over my life, right, with For with that heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, they are given the supernatural power of God, given the Spirit of God, given the very nature of God that can tame the tongue. Because you and I can be changed at the very source of who we are because of what Christ has done. Heavenly Father, we pray for this for each and every person who wrestles with this. I know I do. And Father, for those of us who who are saved, that that we have received your Son, Jesus, that we're on the path of faith and and we feel convicted today, may, may you give us a fresh feeling of your Spirit. Father, that our heart does not need to work wickedness, that our heart does not need to do the bidding of Satan. But we can do your bidding by your grace and by your Spirit. Father, may we yield to you, may we confess and repent and turn and head towards you because you have arms open wide because of your Son Jesus and what he has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.